Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning. Um, My name is Danuta, and I am a covenant member here, and I go to the North Central CG. And I also also serve on the setup team. So, pretty stable today. Okay, so um, I'll be reading from the book of Ezra, uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Now, after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zariah, son of Uzai, son of Bukai, son of Abishua, son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, but the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. But Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Beautiful people, how are we? Good. Danuta is one of our oldest covenant members, so it's good to have her read. Um, Hey, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Um, It is good to be worshiping with the people of God this morning um, because I think that Christ does really sacred things when we gather together. We get to see the beauty of who he is. Uh, We get to see the beauty of who he was making us in to be, uh, what he is doing in and through us. And so uh, it is just encouraging to be here with you all today. So uh, we are continuing in our series on Ezra. And if you haven't been with us, today is actually a really great day to come in. So welcome to the family of God because we turn the page and we really start a new generation of rebuilding. Uh, I told our team this week in exegesis that these last three to four weeks are actually going to be really, really hard to preach because we're essentially hitting the exact same thing that we already hit all over again. Um, And I was really tempted to not preach a similar message, but then honestly thought, okay, hold on, wait a minute. Uh, If it's in the scripture, it's in the scripture for a reason. And if God is having to repeat himself to this next generation, then it must be that the first generation didn't get it. Meaning you and I are prone to miss what the message is here as well. When things are repeated in the Bible, it is because God is trying to get us to pay attention. I think about this often with my children. I will tell them, hey, go clean your room. And then five minutes later, I'll realize they're doing something totally different. So I'll be like, hey, go clean your room. Right? Like, am I speaking Hebrew? Or, and then, you know, 15 minutes later, the room's not clean. And I'm like, 
if you would not like the old Tory to come out, I would encourage you to clean your room, right? And while I don't think that dad is an impatient dad like I am that gets a little bit irritated, uh, I do think that you and I have the danger of being like the person in James who looks at themselves in the mirror and then totally forgets what you look like, thereby not making any of the change necessary for your growth and development in Christ. Let us not be a people who hears the word, but does not do the word. And that's the direction I want to take with this familiar story today. So if you've been with us, you'll hear some of the same themes. But I want us to actually apply those themes, not just hear those themes and think, wow, that was a good sermon. Let's actually be a people of the word. So a quick recap. Wave one, uh, Israel was in Babylon under foreign captivity. And God told the Israelites through the prophets and through the provision of a foreign king to leave Babylon and to rebuild Jerusalem, mainly to rebuild the temple of God. Because before God rightly cared about establishing them as a nation, he cared about rightly establishing their worship. For what you worship is the type of nation or people that you will become. And the same is true for us individually. What and who we worship is the type of person that we will begin to become. There's a temptation for you and I to build many other things before building our worship on Christ. But if we build and establish our spiritual lives, what we will realize is that we are being directed by the God who can order our steps. If we're not careful, we'll end up building our earthly houses, though, over our heavenly one. And as we do this, I believe that we are victim to fall into the very same thing that this nation fell into. God needed them to build a house of worship first because while they may have left Babylon, a lot of Babylon was still left inside of them. They were a people of the world that did not know how to worship God, so they needed to be directed in that sense. And I believe that the exact same temptation exists for us. God is wanting us to have the right priority. Remember, building the right things in the right order at the right times will lead to life. But if we misplace and we begin to build the wrong things, we'll begin to build our work on something else. And that will lead to gaps in our building and ultimately will lead to us not only not building the kingdom of God, but perhaps even leaving that kingdom by ourselves, where we no longer are entering into the presence of God. We miss Jesus, who is joy, when we rebuild in the wrong order. And so they're rebuilding this worship. Wave one, they leave, they start building, then they get hit with some opposition. Then they stop building, they get challenged by some prophets, they start building again, they finish the building, and then the book just kind of awkwardly ends, which is what we hit on last week. So here comes wave two. They leave Babylon, they start building, they get hit with some opposition, they stop building, they get challenged by no longer prophets, but a scribe named Ezra, they finish building, and then this book just really awkwardly ends as well, meaning God must really want us to get this message because it's the identical cycle. This time, though, there are some added layers about how we can build the right house, God's house, in the right order. And so it's like the, it's like the Bible is almost like, okay, you didn't get wave one. Let me give you a couple of more tools, and hopefully you will get wave two. And so what are these new added layers? Well, let's dive into this new generation. 
It begins with a lineage, which Danuta did a phenomenal job reading those words. Good job. Uh, And honestly, there's way too much beauty for us to unpack here today. But if when you get to lineages in your Bible in a year reading plan and you're tempted to just pass over it because it seems boring, I would encourage you, look up some of the names or what those names mean or try to recognize some of the patterns in the name because there's usually an Engedi worth of fruit if you would tend to this garden long enough. The biggest thing we see here is that Ezra came from this dope family tree. Aaron was the first high priest. That was his great, great, great grandfather, meaning Moses was Ezra's great, great, great grand uncle. And if Zerubbabel was kind of a surprising character that came out of nowhere, this character, Ezra, had some spiritual depth to him. Maybe, even maybe, he might be the deliverer that Israel has been waiting for. Now, we know this isn't the case, but you better believe it. There was hype when this man jumped onto the scene. And so let me say this real quick before we just slide past this genealogy. Uh, Where you come from is important. And in this case, it's extremely important. Ezra is able to be a priest because he came from a family of priests. And so according to the law, he was able to rightly step into this role. But looking at Ezra's genealogy, while he had some heavy hitters, uh, he also had some scrubs and he also had some overzealous people, which is interesting because Ezra would ultimately follow in the exact same steps as his former relatives, overzealous priests, and Ezra would become overzealous and make a terrible mistake, which we'll see in a few weeks. And so Pete Scazzaro, who's the author of uh, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, he often says that Jesus may live in your hearts, but grandpa lives in your bones. And at times, I think that you and I, without even realizing it, we don't rebuild the house of God because of our family lineage. Uh, Let me explain. We often fall into the exact same sins that our parents fell into that our grandparents fell into. However, this does not have to be the case if you are a child of God. Saints, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, meaning you have been born again or born from above, meaning you are no longer the son of whoever, son of whoever, needing to carry the baggage of your family's past. No, your lineage has started over. You are now a son of God, brothers and sisters with Christ. And at times, I believe that we allow our worldly heritage to create some shame or we allow some generational curse to tell us that we cannot be used by God, even though Christ became cursed on the tree that you might be broken free. Like, listen, your past family or your past actions does not have to define you. You can, in Christ, write a new story today. This does not mean that we're not aware now, right? Like grandpa lives in our bones. And so community and discipleship and counseling, many things can teach us to walk in our new identity, but Christ has purchased your freedom, saints. And so you cannot let the pain of your family's past stunt your present faithfulness. In this case though, in irony, the opposite is actually true. It's the same coin, but now we get a different side. Because Ezra has a pretty positive family lineage and he rightly allows this to build the temple of God. He uses this family lineage to build the temple. 
And so while the sins of our fathers may be tried to build tombs for our souls rather than homes for God's people, there's also a chance that you and I came from a great lineage. And rather than consuming the fruit of this lineage, we should do what Ezra did and help rebuild God's house. Let me explain that. Ezra uses this historical story of his past to help rebuild the temple of God, which had been desecrated by neglect over the last 60 years because they had no leader. And they respected Ezra because of where he came from. And he used that respect to then motivate God's people, not towards establishing him as some sort of leader, but he used that respect to lead them to build the house of God. And so for you, you may not be ashamed of your family's past. In fact, maybe God allowed you to grow up in a Christian home or to be discipled for multiple years by godly women and men, or maybe God has anointed you with with spiritual gifts, or maybe you have a spiritual lineage that is impressive. Maybe you've been in really good ministries and in really good churches. Dope. Right, like, like that's a very clear example then of what Ezra is doing here, that you should use that lineage to then help other people rightly worship and rightly follow God. My exhortation to you, if you have the positive side of family lineage is, saints, we need you. Like we need you to teach us about God. Rightly use your family lineage, not to disqualify you, yes, but also if you have an impressive one, not to make you proud or selfish, only you personally consuming the fruits of your lineage. No, allow your cultivation in Christ to then help you spur others toward knowing Jesus as well. If you have a bad lineage, like we just discussed last week, find out how Christ is trying to redeem it and trying to take all things that even the enemy meant for evil and work them out for good. But if it's good, praise God. You don't gotta feel bad about that. Can you now help others find depth in Christ? You see, Ezra, even though he was living in luxury in Babylon, clearly cared more about the struggling community and served them just like the prophets before him. And he uses his past to help build Israel's future. You and I should do the same. So who is this saint, Ezra, besides just a priest of God? Well, the text says several things about him. In fact, Ezra sounded like a beast, a man of many skills. He was Chris Henry in this mug, right? Look, Ezra says, verse six, he was skilled in the law. We'll get back to this on our third point, but he loved and he was great with the scriptures. It says he was a scribe in the Persian court. Now that's really, really important because in a generation like ours, we can forget that in past generations, very, very, very few people knew how to read or write. And if you did, it was this unbelievable gift and skill. So Ezra is an educated man that knows how to read and write and is able to use that for the Persian king. He is a gatekeeper. He is a a data analyst. He has this impressive lineage. In fact, we know that he was a very high official because Homi asked for something for the king there in verse six and the king just gave it to him, right? Not just anyone can ask the king that rules over the most powerful nation in the world at the time for whatever they want and the king just gives it to him. 
And so Ezra had this favor before the king as well, probably because he was faithful and good at his job, much like his predecessors, Daniel or, or Ezra, or, or I'm sorry, Esther or Mordecai was before him. Ezra was skilled. He was good. In fact, Ezra's genealogy would not have been impressive to Artaxerxes at all, right? Like, like nor his knowledge of scripture, nor the way he became skilled with this Torah, or nor his commitment to Yahweh. In fact, the king would have looked at Ezra the way a lot of people look at me when I tell them I'm a pastor. They're like, oh. So what do you do, <laughs> right? Like Ezra was good at his job and this is what won him favor and it led to the king granting even more money and even more people towards building the house of God. And so point two, you see it there on the screen. Not only did Ezra use his past legacy to help rebuild and inspire rebuilding, but Ezra used his present skills, his worldly natural skills to help in the rebuilding efforts as well. We talk about this often as a church. Not only is our time important, not only are our treasures or money important, though these are important and we see Israel sacrificially giving their time and their treasures, but also our talents are important. They are important in building up the kingdom of God to help other people to worship God. Um, We live in Austin, Texas, right? Like, Meaning we probably have some of the most brilliant and most skilled people in our church, like here. Like some of y'all are probably creating AI right now that's gonna kick me out of my job, right? Brilliant. Are you using what God has gifted you to try to build up the house of God or are you trying to only build your kingdom or Apple or Dell's kingdom rather than building the right kingdom at the right time in the right order? We ought to use the gifts that God has given us, not just for our own consumption, but also to build the kingdom of God, saints. We need you. Like, what would it look like if you used your skills and your opportunities to not just build your own houses, but to actually begin to build the saints of Christ around you, who, by the way, they are the new temple of God. Humans, you are now the new temple of God. This is the very thing that Ezra does. He uses these skills to help others, right? Like recognize, Ezra is realizing where these skills came from and why he was being used so mightily by God. He says over and over again, it was because of the hand of the Lord. Ezra notices that God's hand was upon him and he's using the favor that God gave him, not just to get promotions before a pagan king, but to literally ask that king how he might rebuild the temple of God to help his people rightly worship God. And Ezra was able to do all of this because the hand of God was on him. So it wasn't just that he was smart. Remember, a scribe at the time, it would have been like if you meet somebody and you say, hey, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a neuroscientist, physicist or something. You'd be like, I don't know what that means, right? But sure, great. Some of y'all are like, that ain't a real job. It probably is in Austin, Texas, right? Like, it'd be like, this guy is impressive. And yet he's realizing, listen, I am not using this for my own benefit. I want to build the kingdom of God. In fact, all throughout chapter and seven, we see this phrase over and over and over again. The hand of God was on him. The hand of God was on him. It was the good hand of the Lord that was moving. Ezra was using these skills to really bless the people of God. Why was God's hand on Ezra though? 
Well, the text says in verse 10 that it was on Ezra because he studied, applied, and taught God's word. Verse 9 says the hand of the Lord was on him for or because he studied God's word. Notice uh, what it says about this man and his love for scripture. It says that he was skilled with the Bible. That word skilled is the Hebrew word for rapid. It kind of suggests a quickness of grasp or an ease of movement. It's like if you had a problem, homie had a Bible passage. He knew the Torah really, really well. You ever met somebody like this? Right? It's like, hey, I'm really struggling with, with how to take care of my dog. And they're like, man, Deuteronomy 32 says, <laughs> Nahum chapter 2. You're like, you quote Nahum, right? Like, this is Ezra. He's really good with the word. Now, think about what he's doing here. He's actually speaking to an audience, to a congregation that no longer even knows Hebrew to be able to understand what the text is saying. You see, these people have been in Babylon. They had lost their culture. They had lost their language. Most of Ezra is written in Aramaic because these people can no longer even understand Hebrew. So somehow he's taking these Hebrew scripts and he's translating them and applying them into his present context. He's contextualizing these scriptures, something that solid pastors and teachers of God's word should also be able to do today. But in fact, it was Ezra's deep love and affection for God's word that made Ezra recognize what the Jews needed, which was the worship of God. And through this, begin to leave Babylon, go to Jerusalem and pick up the effort that they had slacked off in. Ezra got all of that knowledge, not from the the impartation of the Holy Spirit from the outside, but just by studying God's word, which he had available to him. We'll discuss why they slacked off more next week, but it was the word of God that led Ezra to see the need. And remember, Ezra was in the Persian court, so he was not a pastor or a prophet or a scholar or a seminarian. He was busy, and yet it says he set his heart, his emotions to understand the word of God. You can probably tell where this is going by now, but point three is that Ezra used God's word to help in the rebuilding process. Ezra is building and establishing, and Ezra believes that in order to do this right, it needs to be based off of God's word. As he follows God's word, God's hand is also with him. In fact, it's really interesting. In chapter seven and eight, it says that God's hand is with him over and over and over again because he's being obedient to scripture. In chapter nine and 10, he starts listening to outside advice that is not in the Bible and God's hand is nowhere to be seen and Ezra makes a grave mistake. Meaning when he was submitted to the word of God, God's hand was also on him and there was blessing for God's people. And as soon as he left it, he began to create chaos around him. You and I also need to recognize the importance of building on the word of God. When you build personally or when we build corporately, it has to be based on the word of God in order for God's hand to be amongst us. Um, what are you building your marriage on? right? Like, like, what are you building your friendship on or your contentment on? What are you building your finances on? Is it by the wisdom that you got in school only, or is it by the word of God believing that what this is is true, and as you follow it, the hand of God is on you, but as you begin to make your own decisions, the hand of God is not with you, saints. Do you believe this, right? Like, do you know what the scriptures are saying, and then do you seek to apply them? 
Listen, we believe this so deeply as a church, y'all. Like we are empowered by the spirit and guided by the word. That's one of our distinctives. And if we're ever to rebuild in our personal or corporate lives, we are going to have to be a people of the word. But like Ezra, simply knowing the word is not enough. We need to be able to apply it into our lives That's where the personal power comes in and then teach it to others as well. That's where the corporate power comes in. And as we as a church build our church, as we plant and build other churches, we must learn to be sensitive to the spirit, but responsive to God's word. Notice Ezra was not just skilled. It says there in verse 10, he studied and then he applied and then he taught God's word. This is a vital order. Because to study only turns you into a pompous scholar, which I'll be getting emails from some of y'all. I ain't even going to hate, right? I'm, I'm, I'm speaking truth. Where all of a sudden, I've never seen any application of the word of God, and yet somehow you know this Greek word and know what it means, and yet here you are fumbling in sin and ruining your life. If you're just a pompous scholar, friends of God, you are going to shipwreck your faith. To only study turns you into a pompous scholar. To only apply the word kind of turns you into this like moralistic monk, right? To only teach the word will make you a judgmental hypocrite. We need all three in combination. Here's the problem though, is that many of us actually do two of these three things and we think we're okay because we don't realize the importance of all of them marrying together. Because to study and to apply God's word, but not to then teach it to others, it makes you selfish. You are lacking in the obedience of the great commission, which is to teach others all the things that Jesus taught us. You're missing the love of the world. To study and then to teach God's word, but not to apply it, is what many professional orators called Christian preachers do. And it leads to them building flashy organizations that are masquerading as churches, which usually creates deep wounds for God's people. Let me get off my soapbox there. To apply and to teach the word, but to not study the word usually leads to watered down Christianity. You need all three of these in your repertoire. Like, listen, okay, hold on. Can I just dote on the Bible for a minute? I'm finna go over, I don't even care. Listen, Uh, uh, go to Psalm 19. There's a slide in there that says that. Psalm 19, okay, verses seven uh, through 11. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. This whole passage here is about the Bible. And I want you to look at this chart that I made because here's everything that it says that the Bible does. It revives you. It makes you wise. It rejoices you. And here are all of the things that that are a result of us following this. Like the word of God is pure. It is right. It is sure. Do you actually believe this about the Bible, y'all? Like this. 
Because half of us are looking for these things in our life, but then we try to find them in any other source, not realizing this is where the words of life are. This is where joy can well up family of God. Are you seeing the reality of the scriptures? Do you live your life recognizing what is in this text and how it brings benefit to your soul? Like, listen, when you're in love and you receive a a letter from a lover, what do you do? You fawn over it. Oh, my lover, right? (laughs) And you try to figure out everything about the letter. You smell the letter to see if it smells like them, right? Don't act like you weren't in middle school at some point. Like you weren't in high school, right? Do you realize that the lover of your soul is writing to you? These love letters trying to, trying to tell you what he thinks about you, his plans for you, the way he's going to redeem you. Like this is the God of the universe, the God who is love, trying to display his affections to you. And if you're never in the word, how could you ever believe that God even loves you? No wonder why we struggle in our relationship with God. Do you believe that these things are actually true? Because if you do, you'll be in the scriptures. Listen, if y'all know me, you know I like to take polls when I figure out new information, right? Uh, Those who know me just laugh pretty hard. It was like when I found out recently uh, that pretty much all white women had one of 10 middle names. I then went and asked every white woman I know, and sure enough, all white women have one of 10 middle names, right? And I remember trying to figure out, okay, what is it that initiated people's faith? Like what made them on fire for Jesus? And do you know what the overwhelming answer was to that question? Either they had found this beautiful community or they started reading the Bible consistently for themselves. That is what initiated their faith. There has been nothing in my faith that has ignited my intimacy with Christ like my soul being constantly in the scriptures. No wonder why the enemy then would try to use every distraction on earth to stop me from reading the Bible because of who the Bible is trying to draw my intimacy with. There's a war going on. That's why it's so hard for you to have a devotional time, friends. It's so hard. It makes sense too why there's intimacy. Because if every single word in this book is trying to point us to Christ, then when you are in it, whether you see the gospel connection or not, because the Bible is pointing us toward Jesus, either implicitly or explicitly, it is showing you the beauty of Christ and you are therefore finding depth with Christ and therefore finding power to serve Christ because you have a deeper love for Christ. Listen, my beloved, If individually or corporately you are to build anything, if we are to take over this city with the light of Christ and push back darkness, if we build on anything besides God's word, then we are building on something that we hope is true versus something that we know is true. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says the word of God, right? Is living and active. It is sharper than any two edged sword. In fact, that word there, the word of God, that word is used 35 times in the New Testament. 11 times that word is found in the book of Acts. Meaning the most missional book where you would expect the Holy Spirit to be active and present is also where you see the scriptures referenced as the power that is activating this presence, AKA the hand of the Lord was with Ezra. The hand of the Lord was with the apostles because they were centering everything on the word of God. And I think you and I can so easily find information about the Bible sometimes, 
right? Like we don't know an answer, so we go to YouTube, type in Bible Project, find something, and praise God for them. That's a dope uh, resource. But then we don't make ourselves familiar with the word like Ezra did here. And so then we know a bunch about the word, but we don't become skilled with the word. So we have all this information, but we don't know how to mine it for ourselves. So you get the knowledge of Christ without the intimacy of Christ. Right? Like, like, is the word just for you to know or is the word so that you can know who the word is pointing to? John chapter five, verse 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them they have eternal life, not realizing it is they that point to me, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Whatever it is that you're building on family, if you are not building on the words of Christ, you are building on sinking sand. Matthew chapter five, verse 24, or Matthew seven, 24. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, so you hear them, you apply them, and he would go on to say, teach them to others, you're like a wise man, that you've built your house on the rock. Ezra uses his past family history, his present skills, and the word of God to rightly begin to rebuild the Israelite community. And as you build your life or as you rebuild your life, as we build this church, we must do the same, family of God. And yet, even when you and I fail, we have a better priest that Ezra is pointing us towards. You see, Jesus also had a really impressive family lineage, did he not? In fact, his lineage traced all the way back to Adam, to Judah, to David. You see, he was the right king at the right time for the right moment. And Jesus not just had worldly skills, but Jesus also had heavenly talents, not just being a man, but being God himself. And Jesus more than knew the word of God, he wasn't just skilled with the Bible and knew how to turn it. Jesus was the word of God. For the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as he began to build the new temple of God, the church, which is you and I, Jesus dies. Jesus gets treated like a Gentile on the cross with no family lineage or history. Jesus begins to have his very worldly skills used against him. He was a great teacher and that led to false testimony about what he said that led him to get crucified. And the very word of God was crucified and the word of God was silenced, the scripture says, like a lamb that was led to slaughter and barely able to speak on the cross is the word of God. But Jesus did not stay dead. He rose and he commissioned us and he blew his spirit upon us. And now as we proclaim the word of God, we are building the right things at the right time. And you and I now have the opportunity to lead a far better building project than what Ezra did. You see, we can be building eternal temples in each other because you are now the temple of God. And so what Ezra was doing to try to help create worship, you and I get to do as we pour into and love one another. We can disciple others, point them into Christ. And so family of God, what is God calling you to build? It's the same question I asked last week. Like even here at the well, what is God calling you to build? What is he calling you to build? Is he calling you to build community? where you can begin to pour into individuals to help them see the beauty of Christ and the way that you have seen him, to create a home for others that they might feel the kingdom of God amongst us. 
Is he calling you to shepherd others, to, to be a leader, to, to go on church plants, to, to go into the nations, to build where there is no foundation that is laid? Is he calling you to build your home, to build your own holiness that others may see and begin to walk in the holiness of Christ and experience King Jesus? God is calling you to build something, not just for your sake, for the sake of others as well. And as we recognize that, as we use what God has given us, as you use the passions he's given you to build into others, as you find greater depth in the scriptures, you will find more intimacy with Jesus. And as you find more intimacy with Jesus, you will naturally begin to pour him out into others as well. As you use your history, your gifts, and your rootedness in God's word, you put your hand to the plow and you begin to build something for eternity, family of God, even if you don't see the fruit of your work until eternity. Do you believe this? That what you're doing genuinely matters. That when you're reading the scriptures, it genuinely matters, not just for you, but for all of us around as well. Your love of neighbor, your love or sister or brothers, it matters. And so our prayer point this week, we've been praying every week, is really, really simple, y'all. Lord, help me to live empowered by your spirit and guided by your word. This week. Not in general, like this week, right? Like that's our distinctive. What if you prayed that over your life? As we learn to be guided by this, as we learn to be guided by this family of God, then this will keep pointing us to King Jesus because that's who this is written about and to. And as you respond to the Spirit's prompting to build, you will find God's hand upon you. And in God's hand being upon you, you will find both intimacy with Christ and you will realize that what you are doing, it matters. You'll be building temples for eternity. I pray that you would never grow weary in building and that we would build the house of God, each other, forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, showed us the glory, the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ, I want to ask for two things. One, I pray for anybody that walked into the room this morning. They were struggling in their relationship with you. They felt distant in their relationship with you. Maybe even they came in knowing that there was not an actual relationship with you. I pray that you would speak into their hearts, even right now, Holy Spirit of God, that you are a God that wants relationship with them. God, I know that it's really easy to take a message like this and to say, ah, no, I gotta do, I gotta do, rather than realizing, no, 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 like 